This is the Hop Podcast. I think we're probably leaning for a November release, which is going to be super exciting. We have three very, very different boards on it. I don't know how much how much you want me to leak here, Hop. So. My name is James Hopkin and this is the Hop Podcast. Welcome to episode 11. And today I am talking to Calvin Skinner. He is a Queensland skater. He's a movie maker. He owns his own skate brand called Beggars Supply Company. He's one of the creative forces behind the East Cooperative, which make awesome videos and supports the community up in Queensland. And this is a great interview. I wanted to interview Calvin because he is a modern-day longboard influencer. So what makes Calvin exceptional is not his skating. It's not his videos or his movies. They don't go viral and get hundreds of thousands of views. But he shows up, and he shows up consistently, And what he produces is quality. And he's always working within the community and building up the community. And he has a long-term view of our sport and where it's going. And it's a positive message, and Calvin is always positive. So it's uh, there's a lot in here. This interview goes for a while. So if you're down for a long interview, you're going to be very happy with this one. And Calvin and I talk about everything, but we really do focus a lot on his brand, Beggar's Supply Company. And if you've ever wanted to start your own brand, want to know what's involved in creating a your own range of longboards, if you want to have your own skate team, we really dig into the details. So you're really going to enjoy this one. Now, just a quick note before I get on to the interview, we do show notes on all the podcasts they are, it's on the Hopkin blog Hopkin skate blog so anything we talk about today the videos, the brands, the people there are links in the show notes and at the end of this interview I'll tell you what's coming up with the Hop podcast I've done 8 hours of interviews this week so there are a lot of interviews coming down the pipeline, some really exciting ones but enough of the long introduction here is my conversation with Calvin Skinner. So we have Calvin Skinner. Where have we found you? Um, I'm in Maroochydore in, uh, the, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Yeah, nice one. What's the weather like there today? Um, it was uh, pretty sunny during the day. It gets a, a steamy 30 degrees and uh, had a pretty big storm this afternoon. But yeah, not bad otherwise. You were talking about going for a skate. Did you get a skate in? Yeah, yeah, I get a little skating on a few little local runs, but no, nothing too big and nothing too major. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So it's something I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What was your first skateboard? Um, when I was like a micro grommet, my dad got me like a storm, a storm trooper, like old school deck. I remember it was like a white. And it had, like, clear grip tape with, like, a stormtrooper on the top. And I remember they drained our pool one summer and my dad rolled me around in it when I was, like, maybe five. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You skated in a pool when you were five? Yeah. He, like, was holding <laughs> and, like, taking me up the side or something. That's, like, the, 
That's like the Dad of the Year award. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, Dad skated when he was younger, so I guess he kind of just expected that we, his boys would growing up. But, like, it was never, like, something he pushed on us. I think he pushed surfing a little bit more than skating, and then we kind of found skating living in the suburbs, I guess. <coughs> what happened to that skateboard? Um, oh, no clue. Probably garage sale or something. <laughs> There's probably some collector out there that's hanging on his wall or something. Oh, if I could, if, if I could track one down, I definitely would go straight on the wall. Um, but I guess my first like downhill board, I guess, or like longboard. Oh yeah. I had I had like a Globe Cruiser in like 2010, end of 2010, like just a nice little. I think it was like 38 inch. Had like a little single kick, but it wasn't like a wide single kick. It was like super tapered, almost like a pintail, but like with a kick at the end. And uh, was I, that you were like 14 or so, or 15? Um, I think I was 16, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I guess that was like the first board I started bombing hills on. I remember getting speed wobbles the first time on that board. And it was it was pretty scary. <laughs> but uh, What was the step up from that? Um, oh, I think it was the first board I bought off the old Hopkins site. I like begged my dad for months to get me a loaded Tantian. Oh, right. And... I don't know why. It was probably all the loaded videos. They had me stoked out as a little grommet. I just wanted to be doing what they were doing, like what Adam Colton was doing and Kyle. Yeah. I wanted to be like those boys. Straight away, it was like probably the first few skate videos I watched growing up. Um, yeah, so got the Tantian for you guys with Paris trucks and some Otang stims. Um, smart a classic setup. Smartly enough, I got the yellow ones instead of the purple ones. All my friends had the purple ones, and they hated them. <laughs> and I think I was the first one doing a slide in our like little crew of grommets. Because you had the yellow ones. Yeah, because the yellow ones yeah. were so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the slidey ones. Yeah, they were so good. Still are, still are. Otang, Otang makes great wheels. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose before. Um, we jump into anything. I normally ask um, people at the end, but I'm going to ask you at the beginning, and there's going to be a reason why. Like, do you have sponsors, or like, do you have sponsors, like skate sponsors? Skate sponsors, yeah. Like wheels, trucks. Um, not not really at the moment. I rode for Member Collective for yeah. the past two years, and. Um, I don't know, kind of just wanted to, well, I definitely wanted to start doing my own thing this year mm. in a pretty big way. And when I sort of started Beggars, I just wanted to step away and cut it sort of clean, I guess, in like freeing myself to do whatever I wanted instead of doing what a brand wanted to do or somebody to tell me what to do, I guess. So when you sort of, um, so, I mean, you get a little bit of, flow or people help you with here and there. I mean, that's just uh, the stoke, isn't it? Paris has helped me out. They've sent me some trucks. Um, Board store, I guess I uh, sort of ride for and work for. Mm. I get discounts with those guys and they help out with like clothing and street street gear and stuff like that, which is really sick. And um, 
obviously baggies and S1 helmets. S1 helmets flows me a lid every year to keep my brain safe. So okay, yeah, yeah. yeah the reason I ask is obviously as we go along, we'll talk about a few different brands and products and all that sort of stuff. And I sort of just wanted it. I mean, you're not really you have your own like skate brand, as it were. You have your own boards, but your wheels and the trucks, a, a lot of it is just what you've tried, what you like. and Yeah, exactly. Like um, even when I stepped away from Remember, it kind of let me go back into kind of really choosing what I was riding again. And I think I, I, think I really like thrive in that freedom of being able to just ride whatever I love at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you've just released uh, your la- a, a US video. And that's on your last yeah. US trip. When was that? That was like July, was it? Yeah, it was July. So me and Lockie Brahani, um, a good mate, and was a teammate on Remember, and he's also getting flowed by S1. So we were sort of doing stuff because we live close to each other, just hanging out as obviously filming and stuff. And we thought we'd go to the States because I went the past two years, and he was always jealous, and I was like... Come on, man. <laughs> May as well do it. We keep talking about it. So, so yeah. was it, it was just California? It was California, Seattle, and uh, Vancouver and Giants Head, which is just a bit of the West Coast. So Seattle was the northwest part of the video? Yeah, yeah. And then it was... Um, did you put Giants Head in the uh, video? No, I totally skipped it because I already made a Giants Head video for yeah. a member. And, like, I guess I already used up all my footage and didn't want to reuse footage and rehash things that I've already used. So I just wanted it all to be the fresh stuff that no one's seen, I guess. So that that video in three parts, that was it was purely because the trip was in three parts? Yeah, com- almost completely. It's like, I guess with the trip was sort of divided uh, with, like, I guess Giant's Head would be, like, the fourth part of that, which fits between Seattle and uh, Vancouver. Like, um, so we drive up from Seattle to Giant's Head and then hang out in Vancouver for a week after and bum around and do bus runs, skate the amazing roads. In world. And is it also part like business meeting with um, team riders and skating oh. with team riders video? Do you drop in at shops and so forth as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I dropped in at Motion, who's Stocks Beggars from our first release, which has been sick, and they buy huge, huge amounts of boards. They've been a huge supporter, actually, um, in, like, actually letting us sort of sponsor ourselves because we put all of our money back into making sure all of our riders are stocked up with whatever board they want to ride at that point in time. Um, that's our whole thing, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's really like a non for profit sort of thing, which is which is kind of great. Like I'm not trying to make a buck out of it. I'm just trying to make sure my friends and team riders are dictating what they want to ride instead of riding what other companies tell them to. Like mm. it's it's kind of silly <laughs> and a little like dumb and kind of breaking the mold. But I saw a lot of street companies doing similar things. So yeah, when I mean it's was. The, the main basis of Hopkin for years and years and years. It was all about, you know, putting stuff back into team and putting back into the community. You know what I mean? Sometimes, exactly. you know. 
I think that's sort of the the state longboarding's in at the moment is just we need to really be community focused and driven at the moment to kind of maybe have a chance at that big resurgence we're all hoping for. Mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, the Northwest was amazing, and I always spend a good amount of time at the flat at uh, flat spot in Vancouver and hang out with Les and the whole crew there. They're like amazing people, so I always. I always take any chance to be in that neck of the woods, and I'm probably going to spend a month in that neck of the woods next year. So, yeah. Okay, so then another trip planned. Ho- hopefully, hopefully. Going to take the girlfriend this time and do a bit of sightseeing mixed in with a few skate events and, yeah, really kind of try and relax a little bit this year. <laughs> it's always full on, I guess, the past few years, so I kind of want to take a step back for, for a year and try and recharge the batteries, I guess. When you're doing your videos, your, how do you, do you, do you, does the footage dictate how the, the flow of the video or do you go in with an idea? Um, it kind of changes from project to project. Like if I have like a vision in mind and it, it kind of, kind of happens whenever I'm working with a brand, I'll kind of really take a more directorial approach um, and really, like, kind of try and plan my shots out a little bit more. And um, But when I'm shooting for, like, myself or the East Cooperative, um, I kind of try and just freehand it a little bit and, like, kind of bring a lot more life to my shots, I guess. But And that kind of works with skating, that you can plan things out, but you can also just let the skaters skate and work with them. Mm. And I think, like, there's, it's it's kind of like two schools of thought when it comes to filmmaking. You can either really plan stuff out and take that very directorial approach, or you can kind of just freehand it and let skateboarding happen and capture that that beauty that is skateboarding. Because mm. uh, I, I was just noticing when I was watching the last video... Uh, the color grading and so forth that you do. So you're obviously, like, for that one, did you color grade, like, all in one type? You didn't, did you? You sort of split it up a bit? I, like, added a slight few tinges and, like, contrasts and levels, but I uh, pretty much had... I wanted to have a standard grade across, like, pretty much most of the shots with slight tweaks for light, obviously, and... Um, just a few tweaks for each section more so, but like, I think Vancouver's natural colors show off and like each area almost had distinct tones. Yeah. Made the color grading sort of pop out, which I think was really cool. And there's been a few, a few comments. I I noticed a few people, a positive comments about, um, that, you know, there weren't really any like raw runs that it had a very positive vibe to it, more like a community sort of thing? That's what you're sort of going for, or was that just the flavour of the trip? Um, I think it was both uh, the flavour of the trip and and sort of what I'm moving towards myself. Like, the Drop 2 video we did for Beggars had no follow-ons in it. I'm really trying to move away from them. Um, and, and that's, like, very reaction-based to, like... I've started to see the fault in my own previous ways. I don't like to do them as much anymore because mm. it is it is a dangerous place to put yourself in as a driver. You're so you're dangerously liable driving a follow run. 
you're putting yourself in the most risky situation you can put yourself in that you might, one, commit manslaughter and two, lose a friend or even worse, someone very close to you. Like, you you don't want to be in that situation, so I, I try to avoid it the best I can. Um, nowadays, I know in my past, like, Burnt Pineapple was filled with follow runs and, and some pretty dangerous follow driving on my part, I'd say. Um, and I look back at that and it, I feel a little bit bummed that that's the way I went about it, but I also understand that at the time that's what the community was really pushing. Everybody was filming like that. It, it almost like you still see a lot of people filming like that as a reaction to, I guess, that, that period of uh, downhill skateboarding media. And I think we really do need a shift away from it personally. And the Northwest video, you did these slow-mos I don't know if I'm sure it was done on purpose but you did slow-mos of like almost like the skater and then you followed it with the actual person skating that was done on purpose was it um I guess like it was something I guess I did an editing um but I don't know I've been really loving I'm shooting with the Panasonic GH4 which is a new camera that I've started using as of this year, and it shoots like 120 FPS slow-mo if you hack it. <laughs> um, oh, what? Yeah, it's like a small little powerhouse. I, I love it. It's, it shoots 4K as well, which I also adore. Yeah, so I'm always like just a nice little bit of B-roll shooting your mate and trying to get a cool angle with it in slow motion kind of becomes a perfect little setup shot for like, a section in a video, and I guess as a cinematographer, those little bits of B-roll sort of count when, you, when you're editing, but, like, you might feel a bit silly when you're shooting them, but, like, when you're in the editing room, you're just like, damn, I actually have that opening shot I need. I actually have that setup shot. Mm. It can make a big difference in a video, I think. Where do you learn your techniques? Where do you learn a lot of this stuff? Oh, I'm... I don't know. I, I went to university, but I don't actually think that taught me much <laughs> in the ways of uh, like cinematography or anything. Um, I think it's just watching a lot of stuff. And, and that's plain and simple. If you can watch a lot of stuff and observe what feels good and what, what makes you stoked when it comes to skating videos, but like engages you visually. And like I... As a director, I love Wes Anderson's stuff because he uses symmetry and framing in a beautiful way, and I've always wanted to try and figure out a way to bring that into skateboarding, but there's so many great skate filmers at the moment. Like, Linus Marsh has been an incredible inspiration to me, and he lives, like, around the corner from me, and um, his work is, like, incredible. And then you go overseas, and there's, like, Kevon Zamanian, which is, like, Red Dirt Media, he does some incredible, incredible work as well, and I think he's moving away from follow runs as well soon. I was actually about to. Uh, I have. I had a, actually a question lined up, which was, I noticed he commented on your last video about the opening sequence, which I was going to ask you about as well. But what does that feel like when someone oh, like that, that? Oh man, I'm incredibly, incredibly stoked. Because I'm a fan of his stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of his stuff. I've been a huge fan of his work from, like, the longboarding video game video, I think, was probably the first video of his I watched, which was, like, an incredible feat of editing, even. 
So he's always made really entertaining skateboarding videos. So it's it's been awesome to like actually start talking to him recently. He shouted me out on his Instagram story the other day, which is like unreal. <laughs> um, That's pretty cool. So that opening sequence, you got a drone now. Yeah, I get a I get a little spark. I'm hoping to upgrade it, but it's 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 doing it's doing the job. Um, and I th- and I think it kind of works for like sort of like budget filmmaking, I guess. If you're only going to be using a few aerial shots, you don't need the super expensive drone. Just mm. the aerial shots you need, and then cut back to the good stuff. Yeah, it was a really good shot, though. It was sort of uh, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it can be overdone. Yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's sort of like. Uh, sort of introduced the road and the skaters sort of thing. So it was, and it's nice, well, as a person watching a video, especially on like mountains like that, it's nice to get sort of an overview of where they are and what they're doing. Mm. Definitely, definitely. I don't think people really show those sort of perspectives and I kind of want to play with that sort of stuff a little bit more going forward. But I don't think I want to do like too much aerial cinematography. It's just a lot of pain to get like perfect. So if yeah. you like more B-roll style footage, you can get some really great stuff, and then you obviously like just work that into what you're filming anyway. And how long does it take to do an edit? Like, how did that long did that last one take? Oh, that last, that last one took. Uh, a very long time. So I tried to edit it uh, once. I had a pretty much a full draft done, and my last computer couldn't really handle 11 minutes of 4K footage. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it just wouldn't export. I cleared my whole hard drive, and it just it didn't want to. It didn't want to play along. So I uh, I got myself a new Mac that can actually handle 4K footage, and it's uh, it was a breeze. And uh, well, I think I would have had it done like a week after I got back if it wasn't for my computer playing up. So, <laughs> but yeah. I, I had all the ideas there. But I think actually that bit of time allowed me to really work on some other projects and then sort of come back to it and look at the trip with a lot more, I guess, hindsight and retrospective for how mm-hmm. the trip it was. And the music, like, for do you pick the music beforehand or? Um, no. Do you, like, listen to music and yeah, like, I, go, oh, that would be, I'd love to put that as a skate video. Yeah, I guess I'm always, I'm always listening to music and doing that. I, um, I love Discover Weekly on Spotify. Um, I, I totally adore getting new music every week, and I've sort of tuned it to try to, try to put out skate video songs for me now, which is, <laughs> is very helpful. <laughs> It's, it's almost like cheating the system. Every week I get like a list of 20, 20 new potential skate video songs. So I just make a little short list on Spotify and go back to them whenever I'm editing. And can we talk about clearance? Do you get clearance for music or we're not going to talk uh, about clearance? There's been a few times we've gotten clearance. So like a few bands in the past have like let us use their music. Uh, this band called Vacations. Um, have let us use their music before and a couple other local bands have let us use their stuff but um, for, for a lot of times we have sort of just been like eh, what the heck if we're not making it for profit 
we may as well use the music we want to use and tell tell the story the way we want to tell it mm. rather than try and use like uh, copyright free music and not and not have the vibe we were looking for. And how does that play with like YouTube? Like, uh, do they just demonetize it? Yeah, they demonetize mostly. Um, they recently took down Burnt Pineapple, which we were sort of expecting, and we were surprised it stayed up as long as it did, because we used like a lot of copyright heavy music. But it is it is what it is. It does happen. Videos do get taken down, but you can always re-upload them if people want to see them. And I try and I try and do that when my stuff does get taken down, to the best of my ability. Or does but, it just go live on Vimeo? Yeah, it goes and lives on Vimeo or like the East Cooperative Facebook page is probably my main re-upload destination because somehow they don't get flagged on Facebook, which is even even more surprising actually. Yeah, there's a. I think there's a lot of reasons why that is or isn't. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's definitely a a battle being uh, fought out between you know Facebook and Google, and I think Facebook's doing a lot of catch up. So. Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. Um, Facebook video has become huge for downhill skating in the past like two years, I imagine. Like, it has and become like, people's main video platform for a few content creators, which is amazing to see. Like, Facebook grow into such a big, big audience for uh, downhill skateboarding. And I was going to ask you about that because you you upload to YouTube, but you don't upload to Facebook or do you do a different edit for Facebook? How do you do that? Um, so I guess I've kind of wanted to spread myself out across like a lot of different channels and sort of talk in like a lot of different voices, I guess. So I wanted to make like, so my YouTube channel is like those sort of videos, I guess. And I kind of like let them sort of be their own thing. And then I make videos for the East Cooperative, which is mostly Facebook. Actually, it's strictly Facebook now. Um, and I that's like a very different voice. I go about shooting a video for the East Cooperative very differently than I would my own channel. And then obviously, Beggars does a lot of Facebook video, actually. Actually, strictly Facebook video and Instagram video at the moment. And then, yeah, it kind of lets me kind of spread out content-wise and kind of approach each one differently but also have a lot of chan- different channels of communication covered and sort of gives me a pretty good understanding of each, how each channel operates and kind of I can tailor the content for that. Okay. You would do a specific piece of content for each platform. You wouldn't just repurpose one for another. I mean, I, I know you obviously upload, you know, like Burnt Pineapple goes up on uh, Facebook or whatever, but... Yeah, yeah, that was just to get it up there. But yeah, yeah, but generally it's a... Uh, I think you have to approach each platform a little bit differently. Like, I think YouTube is sort of become like this pseudo medium length platform where it's like, oh, it's like eight minute videos nowadays. Uh, where Facebook, you can kind of do anything from like 30 seconds to six minutes, and it's, it's a great upload there. And then Instagram's obviously a small, small like, Yeah. And obviously, like, to each one, you have to sort of tailor it to that sort of audience. So I try and put longer content on my YouTube channel now than, I guess, 
I would I would have a few years ago not knowing that or not approaching it that way. But I guess it kind of just works for the platform that I think people go to YouTube to watch a video, but if you're scrolling through your feed on Facebook and you see something pop up, you're more likely to watch it if it's a shorter length of time. Do you see yourself more as a media creator than sort of a skate brand? I know you have beggars and so forth and a couple of other brands, but are you mainly like a movie maker or a video maker or a media creator? No, no. I think, I think I'm a bit of everything. I'm a, I'm a professional generalist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do it all and have fun doing it, and I don't want to leave skating behind or be like a skate brand. I don't want to leave that behind. I want to I wanna do a bit of everything and have fun doing it. I, I, I love doing all of it, so <laughs> I can't really see a life without one of them, I guess. Beggars, beggar, beggar supply company. How did that start? It started at the start of the year, or is this something that's been in the back of your mind for a while, and a few things came together? It was in my mind for ages. Obviously, I think everybody has been like, oh, "I wish I could make that board company," or like, "I wish I could make a board company with me and my mates and make the boards we want to skate and stuff like that." And I think a lot of people toss that idea around a lot and never actually sort of go through it go through with it. It was a huge sort of move to do, but um, I was writing for, at the start of the year, I was writing for a different board company, which was Remember, and I was um, doing a bit of board design with them, and I was also working for a surf magazine at the time, which was Smorgasporter, which was a pretty interesting time because they asked me to try and find a custom longboard maker for a story. And uh, I came across the boys at uh, Drang, who uh, manufacture Vegas boards now. Um, but I guess uh, chasing that story was sort of how everything kind of kicked off in the way that they kind of almost convinced me <laughs> that uh, the ideas I was going to make were kind of going to be worth doing something with. And I thought about it a lot, and then I pitched them Vegas, or, or what is Vegas now? Um, and and they were super down, but it sort of started with this like one custom downhill surfboard I did for a magazine article with them. Did you ask many other wood shops? Are there a lot of wood shops that do that sort of thing? Um, at the time, it didn't seem like there were. There like there's at the time there was Board Life in Colorado doing custom sort of, um, but I think a few more have popped up. Uh, popped up since I started Beggars, but at the time there was there wasn't that many doing complete customs, custom concave, custom wheelbase, custom everything. Maybe you could cut out a shape out of a mold that was already made, but you couldn't design the mold down to every millimeter and every inch. Um, which is probably my favorite thing about working with Drang. We have so much customization over our boards, and each board we've released is individual to another board we've released. We've never reused the exact same mold. There might be similar molds, but there's slight tweaks in concave, slight tweaks in rocker to make each board individual, and that's something we've only really been able to do with Trang. I think their flexibility is, is incredible. How do they do that? 
Um, they use a modular system, and they can also do a lot of stuff in-house. They don't have to outsource to anywhere, really, for anything. Um, so do those do those molds for the first drop still exist? So can yeah. you go back and do boards? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We could. A lot of people asking me for a re-release of the backbone, um, which might happen because everybody keeps asking me to do it again. Um, so yeah, yeah, we can redo any board we've ever done, and we can go back and grab that mold and chuck a different shape on it if we wanted to do anything with them. They're all they're all there. And how do you come up with the names and the art? Like, who does the? Do you do the names? Yeah, yeah, are they just names that sort of naturally occur during the design process? Um, I guess in in some ways, like for a few boards, the backbone was definitely a project we wanted to. I wanted to do my first sort of like downhill pintail that I had stood behind and loved and uh, was super stoked on. So that was like a super personal project for me. But with other boards, they've kind of the name sort of came to it through the design process. We talked about the art, and we've worked with we're working with a new artist for the first time for Drop Three. But the past two, a few is my lovely girlfriend uh, Sarah Williams, who's an amazing graphic designer and has done our past two releases. Um, and sort of we we always sort of come up with the board names as we're just concepting it all with our riders and everything. So I guess it does happen a bit naturally for the most part, I'd say. And the the art, does that come after the board? Um, or so does he think that goes during the design process of the actual, like, concave? Like, you have an idea in your mind? Um, yeah, I think it... I think the name and the shape sort of happen at the same time and the art follows, perhaps. Yeah. I always kind of, like, I always name, like, the shape as I'm doing it, even if it's a silly name, like, just to name it something. Mm. And some some of those silly names have stuck, uh, <laughs> two shapes, and <laughs> some of them have, like, the Temptress was, like, a silly name name to me at first because it was like a, it was a sexy board with curves like I haven't seen before and I was I was super stoked on it and I was like yeah it's 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 super sexy <laughs> and I called it the temptress when I was designing it when I'm, I always I always have a few beers when I uh, design skateboards I think it's the best way to do it but <laughs> everyone has their own method but um I guess that's mine I mean both boards are fairly I mean there's sort of this trend at the moment with a lot of downhill boards getting smaller and smaller. You yeah. haven't been sucked into that? Um, not entirely, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, I totally see the need for the trend in the racing community, but I think that that racing community, that level of top tier that wants that sort of board is a very, very small niche, and then there's, leaves everyone else who still needs skateboards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we will do something of that variety soon. We have a few of our riders wanting to ride that sort of board, so we're gonna we're gonna work on something really cool soon. Um, Is anyone chopping their boards yet? Uh, no one has yet, but um, <laughs> we, we've talked about it a few times. Oh, right. um, no, everyone thinks that we could do a really cool uh, small mini top mount with the Temptress mold, which would be really fun to do. So 
we might do that at some point, but we do have a really cool racy 36-inch top mount coming out in drop four, which is going to be sort of our smallest like downhill board we've released so far, which is, I guess, the closest we can get to mini at the moment. So drop, drop one was the day drinker, the backbone, and the guys. Yeah. So does that mean there's three molds for those? Yes, there's three molds. And then there was the Mistress and the Temptress. That was so there's dropped. a mold for each of those. Yeah, yeah, there's a mold for each of them. Okay. And so why drop why drop one, drop two, drop three? Like is that I guess I I saw a few like uh, streetwear brands doing these capsule collections. Yeah. And then so this is like our autumn drop. This is our winter drop. In we're sort of a very global company in the way that we ship out of the states um, for the most part. So it didn't make sense for us to name it seasonally. So we sort of went with the numbers, but we sort of are going for really small release capsule collection stuff. I, d I just don't think that like anybody's really sort of done that sort of thing in. No at the moment. Um, I guess Clutch would be the closest thing back in the day when they were doing like small batch stuff, but I guess we have set quantities. There's only going to be 10 of like the drop one boards and and then they were done, I guess. Like we just wanted to have these small bursts of ideas. If you wanted to be a part of the idea, then buy a board, but if you don't like the idea, then you don't have to. <laughs> You can wait for the next drop, and there can be something that's for you there. Um, and, and we want that fluidity of people being able to say, there might be something for me later on, because we want our ideas to keep rolling through and trying different things constantly and constantly and giving people something different each drop. And how the shops, like Motion and... Uh, any other shops that carry your boards? How, how have they reacted to that sort of drop one, drop two? Um, I think I think they're sort of they're sort of used to it to some degree. If if any of the shops, which a lot of them do, stock like street boards, street companies release three three or four releases a year. Mm. So I, I actually am surprised that longboard companies never adopted that model. I guess I mean the. It sort of makes sense because our like overheads and costs for stock are a little bit higher, but having gear change that off that often in like a fast changing process sort of keeps people entertained and interested in what you're doing and the product you're putting out. And I guess that's what we want to do. We want to keep people interested. Is what will we do next? Because <laughs> we have so many so many ideas of what we can do with boards and we're really really looking forward to share share that with you guys so when you say we is that you and the team riders and the team yeah so we have uh, Brady Faithful who's on the sunny coast we have Corey Camp on the sunny coast we have Luke Smith in Brisbane and we have Jeremy Schoon in um, Canada Ontario so he's our only North American rider at the moment um and uh, we're super stoked to have him on board. He's actually coming over to Australia for two weeks in December, which is going to be tragic for him because he'll melt. But <laughs> I'm sure we'll have uh, lots of great footage come out of it. So I'm super stoked for that whole uh, that whole like expedition. 
So how do you guys collaborate? Um, oh, I guess me and Jeremy have just been mates for ages, and we've always just talked on Facebook, so it kind of just went into, like, the beggars guys having a group chat and uh, doing the good old group chat trying to make something work situation. Okay. Um, but, no, I talk to Jeremy every week. Um, he's, like, one of... I, I kind of try to check in with my writers every week to the best of my ability to make sure everyone's stoked, see if they obviously got out and skated and see if there's any sick sick clips or pictures as you do running a brand. I sort of have to wear like every single hat if that a brand would normally have is like people employed to do. But I think that's a lot of small companies nowadays. And so when's the next drop? Um, so we have drop three, and I think we're releasing that in November, December sort of area. Okay. Uh, I think we're probably leaning for a November release. Um, which is going to be super exciting. Um, we have three very, very different boards on it, but they're all sort of themed into the like pretty much ace freerider boards. Um, I don't know how much how much you want me to leak here, Hob. So it's your brand. You can re- leak as much as you want, but like you said, you like people guessing, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So we have. I, c- I can sort of say the archetypes sort of boards of it. We have like a downhill single kick, which is gonna be thirty nine inches long. That sort of that sort of area, that ballpark yeah. sort of board. Um we have a symmetrical downhill top mount that's uh thirty five and a half inches long. And we have a big double kick that's thirty eight and a half inches long. Wow. So it's us for the big double kick. Oh, um, Brady, uh, he's he's super stoked. Um, and me, I guess. I'm, I really want to skate that board. I want to skate it a lot. <laughs> I'm super excited for it. We're uh, doing some really interesting stuff with that board. And um, so, how does it work? You sort of like uh, you 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 do the measurements and the like what you want in a mold, and then the uh, drain press up prototypes and. You yeah, so send we, them out? We sort of go through a pretty big development process with Drang. So we draw up the shapes and obviously and work with the riders to figure out specifications for concave and how we want it to feel and like what sort of concave, what sort of rocker. Obviously do the whole the whole thing. And then we go to Drang with that information and they do our sub three D renders. We get the riders to approve three D renders and then we get our first proto done. Um, the first proto then has to be ticked off by both the rider and myself and Drang to say we all approve it and we're all stoked on it. And then we start doing a bunch of them. <laughs> um, that's that's sort of the whole process wrapped up, I guess. Um, oh, and we work on art at some point in there as well. <laughs> so these boards are... the. There's no pro boards, are there? There's like no one, this is my board, or is it like underlying, oh, yeah, this is my board sort of thing? Um, it, it is a little bit underlying at this point in time um, because I think everybody, a lot of these boards are having their first crack at designing a board, and to, my mindset, to me, I'm doing that. I've done that a bunch of times here already, and I think you need to sort of work through the process of really designing 
the board you want before you put your name on it, I guess. So we don't want them to have their first crack at designing a board, have their name on it, and then not be stoked on their first pro model. Why not have their third crack at designing a board, have their name on it, and then they're super stoked that they spent three years designing a board every year and then have something incredible at the end of it. Yeah. And when's drop four? Um, drop four, we're looking at, I think we're looking at February, March. Okay, so it's going to be, drop fours are going to be very close to drop. One. Yeah, 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 I think... I think in yeah that period, it'll be pretty close. But um, we're so already, it, is, we're is the plan to do two drops a year, or or you haven't thought about it like that? I think we're doing three drops at the moment. But um, oh, we'll yeah, see. three drops. Yeah, sorry, three drops because you're doing one at the end of the year. So, is is that the plan? Yeah, three drops a year is the plan at the moment. Which is, I think that's sort of economical for the most part. Mm. Um, also, it gives the boys time to ride each board. Like, if they're getting a new board every drop, and sometimes they don't want a new drop board every <laughs> drop, they're getting a new board every drop. That uh, that sort of... That's a lot of skateboards to try out and not enough time on each of them. So mm. you definitely need to let people sit on a board for a while so they, they either learn to love it or learn to hate it. Um, and what happens if a board sells out? Um, then it's done. I'm stoked. The, when the backbone sell, sell out, I went out for a night of drinks on the town with my girlfriend. And I was <laughs> celebrating. I never, never expected it, honestly. Um, when, when the first few, when the guys sold out and the backbone sold out, I was over the moon. I never expected that much support for those boards. And I guess me as well and the company and giving it a go. Like, it was honestly humbling. And did the numbers increase on the drops? Yeah, like yeah. Like as you go? Well, um, I think we're going to sort of cap it. I think we um, we did 20 for each board in this drop. And, um, I think we're going to keep it as 20 max at the moment. Um, but we might have a sort of reissue system set up at some point next year where people can get um, a standardized beggars graphic printed on any board in their library to have it sort of brought back um, as another limited release setup, hopefully. Is there, like, a release party, or how, how does that work? Like, when you announce something, it's like... Uh... Oh, it's... We, I'd love to have a release party. We've had, like, a few gatherings of the boys and had a few beers. This <laughs> first few drops, but um, I'd love to do bigger things. I'd love to do events and slide jams where we can have like a bunch of demo boards set up for people to rip, and that sort of stuff for releases. I think that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, no, nothing yet. <laughs> I'd love to do something really big though. So it's be- when you do a drop, it's just like you you've done a video, you you put it on YouTube, Instagram. It's just like it's out in the digital world and it's released. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. We, we get the boys together, try and uh, film like a team video. Usually that's that's the plan going forward. Each each uh, drop we're going to do a big team video and like, compiling everybody's footage and really work on like a consistent piece of media. But um, yeah, and put that out into the world and kind of try and coordinate a feel 
for it with the photography we shoot for it. So we work with a few different photographers to get like really nice uh, product photography, and that's kind of our main marketing tool uh, before we put a video out. Um, because I think uh, being a photographer myself for a while, I really, I really love like crispy looking photos, and I think a lot of people appreciate seeing a bit of bored porn in their feed. So. <laughs> And, I mean, is it, I mean, you said it's sort of a, not prof, not for profit, but it sort of is a profit sort of like business, isn't it? I mean, I mean beggars, I mean, you go into these sort of things and say, you know, if this thing grows, it, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I think, like, at, at this point in time and where we're at and where what we're looking at at the moment, it's all about, Making sure we can pay for the next drop of boards, which is which is always the goal. Like, pay for the team rider boards and the boards I want to skate for the next drop, um, so we can sort of keep ourselves skating. Is that yeah. how you judge whether it's successful? Uh, yeah, yeah, completely. If if I like if I don't make a cent out of it, and we can all of us ride skateboards and don't have to worry about buying skateboards. For the rest of the, the rest of the time, beggars is a thing. Then I am like incredibly stoked. <laughs> like that is the number one goal. Like I have a full time job at the moment that I love, and this is just like a pure creative outlet for me. And if that creative outlet turns into something bigger, then I'm I'm even even more stoked. Yeah, I mean I think it's a great idea. Right, I love the boards. I think um, it's just something different. And I don't know, I think uh, it's just one of those things that I think will just keep growing and growing. I can see it's, yeah, it's a great formula. Yeah, it, it works. It works really well because everyone stays stoked. <laughs> like, that's it. We Our team is just always stoked whenever we have, like, a box rock up because... It's just like all of our ideas come to fruition and I think we're all, all going to stay stoked on that feeling and never want to not want that feeling every four or five months. And are you planning to like get into clothing and so forth? Yeah, definitely, definitely. We um, have done like a really small like 20 T-shirts release so team riders could have shirts and we could hock a few to friends and family. But... um. We're definitely going to start doing like little capsule collections of clothes and sort of work from that sort of model, which we've already adopted, and just keep keep going forward with that. But that will be obviously operating out of Australia with our boards operating out of the States. I know digital marketing is really important for you. Is that the main – is that how you're growing this? Or do you think um, – and this isn't a loaded question – at all, but I mean, are skate shops like that sort of channel? Is that important for you? Is that sort of uh, going forward? Are you going to chase that market, or is that more going to be more direct to skaters? Um, I think I think both channels are equally important. Um, honestly, going forward, I think we need to rally behind local shops, and I think they're pillars of the community, and it's so important. So. We sell. We pre-release all of our boards to shops uh, a month before we release to public, um, so they can get their orders in, and we can have boards shipping on drop release to them. 
so that when we do release public and we do sell to everybody, the skate shops have them at the same time or close to the same time so that we can have people going to their local shop rather than just jumping on our online store. And how hard is it to get a shop to stock your board? Um, oh, in the past, it hasn't been too hard. Uh, I haven't really reached out to that many shops, to be honest. I've only reached out to really, like, I guess, sort of friends and family sort of people in my life um, that have been really, really, I've been really tight with. So Ado at Creative Skate, obviously, who's been a pillar of the Queensland community for years, he grabbed some of our boards and then... Um, Boardworks has been they they uh, premiered Burn Pineapple last year. So oh, is that where it premiered? Was it? Yeah, yeah, they oh, had. Okay, I didn't. I remember seeing it, but I I didn't I didn't click on where it was. Yeah, so it it only made sense to sort of like establish that relationship with them because they sort of had my back a few years ago, and obviously was stoked on what I was doing. Um, so. And uh, Flat Spot are probably going to be getting drop three, um, which is exciting. And uh, hopefully we can get out to a few more shops. Hopefully we can get a few boards down to U-Hop for sure. Yeah. And so do you think it's the – do you see your job as like driving that demand that people, um, like, people ask for a beggar's board? I guess, yeah. I, I want to drive that demand with that – that's sort of like I guess my job and the position, what I'm what I'm doing. But I don't I don't want to actively seek that demand. I want to have ideas that people actively seek. More so, I want to work more on the product and the branding behind it, and that sort of drive everything. Can do less of the work myself and let the brand do the work. Um, because hey, I have I have my YouTube channel to sell me. Um, and do that sort of thing. I want beggars to sell beggars. And do you f- like? Do you feel that pressure from like? Uh, there's a lot of well, I mean, in digital media, I mean, um, with Instagram and Facebook, you know, just those general metrics of how many people have clicked your like button, how many people have viewed something, how many people have shared something. I mean, do you get caught up in those metrics? Do you feel the pressure on, oh, like, you know, we're not getting enough likes, shares or whatever? Oh, yeah, definitely. But that that comes with the territory. I, I work in digital marketing full time. That's, that's some of it. And I think actually, thankfully, because of my job, I have been somewhat numbed to that feeling. Like I see it every day and I sort of understand it just as a number now. It's it's just the number. It's not something you should grade yourself on and grade your success on. It it is important to what you're doing, but you should only look at it as that and not anything more than that. It's just a number that you can really forget about if you if you want it entirely. Do you think we? Do you think? Because uh, I've um, I've. Funnily enough, I've had some discussions with a few other people in the last couple of weeks, and one question that's come up and we've debated a little bit: Do you think Australia could support like a a wood shop, you know, something like Drang or one of these places? Like, do you think Australia could 
have something like that? I mean, I think it would be excellent for our scene at the moment, but a woodshop has to be busy, like to to keep its doors open. Um, I think part-time woodshops and co-op woodshops would be excellent with uh, like dedicated machinists who are trained in doing it and bringing boards to life, like the boys at Drang. Um, I think that would be an excellent setup, but. It's just hard to make that sort of thing work. A Drang press hundreds of boards a month plus. Like they, they put tons of boards out, mm. and that's how they keep the doors open, and that's how you have to keep the doors open. Um, I'd hope that the demand for a longboard shop would be there, but I'm not exactly sure it is at this point in time. I think in 2013 it would have been, and that's why we had brands like Glide and Dado popping up and doing very well mm. at that time. Um, and Fat Pigeon even. Fat Pigeon definitely is a brand. Yeah. That, I love those boards. I love those boards. Incredible boards. Incredible boards. Did so much things with Concave so early on as well. Yeah, and different materials. Oh, but their work with composites is... Is excellent, like ahead of its time for sure. I don't think many people are even doing composites to the quality that they did now. Obviously, you see Descent doing amazing things with carbon and stuff. But, yeah, um, yeah. There's there's tons of great stuff happening now, but like and that Rocket, I've been that's been on my radar for the last couple of months. Yeah, Rocket has become huge. Yeah, incredibly huge in the the Queensland scene too. Um, with all downhill distribution bringing and, and uh, a lot of people jumping on them, I think they're like a huge. They've really become like a major player in the downhill board scene for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's so many of those European brands that we don't really see out here. Yeah, definitely. Like, Alternative is another another great one. Like yeah. they do incredible boards and have been doing for quite a while actually. Mm. I remember looking at some of their boards maybe three or four years ago and being stoked on what they were doing then. Mm. I've seeing them sort of like come into being super, super popular the past two years, I'd say. Mm. But um, So what's it, your opinion on the industry? I mean, you're across so many parts of the industry. What do you, like in the US and in Australia, what, what do you see happening in the, the scene? I suppose the scene in the industry is different. Let's... Let's talk industry first. Um, I think the industry, um, whether we are ready for it or not, we are going to have a lot, like a huge amount of growth leading up to 2020. I think that's that's hard to ignore. It's like the, skate, the skateboarding industry as a whole, maybe not downhill itself, but we will see the side effects of skateboarding being plunged with money. Um just this week, I've heard of like five Olympic-sized skate parks being built in Australia through uh, just where I work, um, and like the term "Olympic-sized skate park" was new to me this week. Um, I'd never heard of that. Yeah, it's it's baffling, isn't it? But it's what, very- is there a definition? What is an Olympic size? So like- it has, from what I like, my brief understanding, um, it has both a street plaza. And a flow bowl. That's that's what I've been told. Okay. Um, I have to chase that one down. Yeah. Supposedly yeah. there's two going in in Sydney, so you're a very lucky duck, mate. <laughs> yeah, one very close to me. 
Mm. So if I'm yeah. thinking of the one, there's one in Ride, but that one's going to have uh, a pump track as well, hopefully. Yeah, yeah they're ton tons of fun. Probably one of the best things actually happening around the world is those popping, popping up everywhere. Mm. I mean, like, it gives an outlet for everybody to skate something, and it kind of levels the playing field that not, like, you can't really be better than someone else on a pump track, really. Like, Unless we put cones and race. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, like, my dad, who's 65, could go pump around on a pump track. Yeah. And it, it's, like a modern, it's like a modern-day uh, snake run. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I wish we had more snake runs, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. One can only dream. Yeah, there was talk of uh, a park going in in China and they were going to do, like, a, the centrepiece was going to be, a, like, a, a huge snake run, like, you know, like, <sighs> you know, ri rivaling, like, Kona sort of thing. But I don't know if it ever got built. I don't think it did. There's so many, yeah, there's so much growth in skate parks across the country. That, so, the that's, whole... so that's skateboarding, but what about longboarding? Um, I, think... I mean, you've been to, you know, Motion and Flat Spot and hung out in Vancouver. What's the scene like, over, what's the business scene like over there at the moment? Um, so obviously, like, Vancouver is a lot of, there's a lot of players in Vancouver, to be honest, um, obviously having a rain and Landy all based out of the same sort of city has always made and skull skates. Let's not forget skull skates. Um, yeah, that being like one of the most OG companies in downhill. Honestly, maybe the OG company in Vancouver downhill. Mm. All in that big hub has made it just the breeding ground for like excellent skateboarding, but it also has, I think, that whole. Those tight hubs has allowed for product progression to occur beyond what we can believe. But I think those hubs are sort of changing um, to an extent. I think we're seeing that product progression occur in different areas now where, like, Landy was really pushing things um, from, like, 2010 to 2014 with the Holotech boards and everything. That push is now coming from different areas in the market, and it's all coming from smaller brands coming up with new ideas, where these big companies have pretty much kind of fallen under their own weight a little bit in the fact that they have to sell so many boards, so they have to do these big cruiser lineups, and their downhill lineups have to become smaller, where you sort of start to see kind of a lack of focus in product there, or at least a focus from the downhill industry, I guess. Um, I guess we've seen, like, that's happened to a lot of companies. Sector 9's pretty much got a very skeleton downhill lineup now compared to what it was years ago. Yeah, that's not really one of their focuses sort of anymore, is it? Exactly. Those big companies just, they get too heavy. They have to sell that amount of boards to support the infrastructure and growth that occurred when the industry was at its strongest. So... I guess, like, the Landy lineup isn't full of that many downhill decks that people are asking for nowadays, but they're still focusing on that sort of entry-level cruiser market because that's where they're going to get their sort of sales, and that's how that company stays afloat, I guess. But a smaller, nimble brand like Beggars can come in and sort of disrupt that by being like, oh, we only make downhill boards. <laughs> like, do you think, I mean, 
the industry sort of like in the current market, these indie brands are popping up, aren't they? Yeah. Like Pantheon, Pantheon and um, I don't know, De Silva and like Israel and Oh, I no, there's tons of brands. There's FS Boardco, which are also pressed out at Durang. Chroma, Dylan Hepworth's brands, DH Boards. Um, it's tons. So, I, I mean, I, is that just a reaction from, like, skaters, do you think? Or do you think that's just the industry fracturing a little bit? I think it's sort of like a big, actually, reply to the industry, honestly, with all these skater-owned companies kind of popping up. And, well, like, this generation of skater-owned companies popping up and being like, well, I'm just going to make what I want to skate because no one's making it for me. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's it's probably the greatest thing happening to the industry right now because I think it's shaking a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people up at the big companies. I think I think it's it's probably having a bigger impact than we can even see now in the way that you're going to so- see growing into like a huge brand and that's going to disrupt the market very heavily where Landy and big players will just be wondering what what sort of happened. So do you think like we've had our 80s moment and we're sort of going into that 90s skateboarding moment where there was just like lots of small independent brands being really creative and the scene gets quiet and the industry fractures a bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We are, we are seeing that. Um, it's, and that's a parallel I often draw myself to our industry. I think we did just come out of our eighties moment and we are entering like the dark era in the nineties where we have to sort of find our feet again. Mm. Um, and I guess this is where we start to build to see what we really want to be as in, as a, like industry and as a like competitive community as to what we're going to do going forward and what's that what that is even going to look like because obviously downhill has become so much faster going forward and the techie free ride we saw in 2013 and 2012 that seemed to draw so many people in has seemingly disappeared uh, the sport in itself looks very different to when it did when there was a huge like Buzz and longboarding per se. And what's the scene like in um, in America and Canada? I mean, is it it's is it? Do you think it's still declining or it's flatlined a bit? Do you uh, think it's growing? I think it's it, it's coming out of a flat line. It's definitely on a resurgence, and I, and you can sort of see that happening here almost a little bit. There's People... That my next question was, what what are they doing different over there, community wise, to what we're doing here? Do you think it's, um, they're doing more community events? Definitely, definitely. Um, it's and it's always hard to compare any scene to Vancouver. It's it, and it honestly shouldn't be done because that place, yeah. is a, a, a huge hub. It'd be like comparing any street skating scene to Barcelona. It, it doesn't make sense. You can't, or like LA, it, it doesn't make sense to compare like a region. Yeah, it's definitely a longboarding. Oh, well, I, I used to always say it was sort of like the longboarding sort of epicenter, much yeah. the same as uh, California was the epicenter for skating 
in like the 80s, 70s yeah, and 80s. Definitely. And it, it is like that, and it does feel like that still. I think that feeling has changed a little bit, perhaps. Like, seeing where where the industry is at this point in time, I don't think... I think it would have been, like, a huge buzz in 2013 and 2014, and obviously that decline has had an effect on even that big epicenter, but it's still there. Flat Spot has events every single week. When you're there in summer, you can't not find somebody to skateboard with. It's it's ridiculous, actually. Um, there's just so many skaters and so, and so much skateboarding happening. Like, Flat Spot has an event almost three days a week, which means you can <laughs> always be skating with the same people or meet totally new people every time you skate if you want. Who does those events? Um, they're, they're team. So they have, they have like, Les at Flat Spot, who also mm-hmm. runs Gates Late. He's literally the biggest pillar of the community, much like yourself, Hop, but he does so much for that little, that little, uh, that little hub he's got there. He, he does. Yeah, no, it's amazing, isn't it? He, um, he is truly amazing. The Highway Jams, uh, which I got to go on my first one this part this trip, is probably one of the best skate events I've ever been to. Why? Oh, it was like 40 skaters driven around in buses to like skate wherever they have to. Like, was there any rhyme and reason to it? Um, it was a Paris Highway Jam, I believe. But that's that's what they do. They do like a Highway Jam every month almost, and like take 40 skaters off to rip a bunch of different hills, and it's like a mobile slide jam. It, it reminds me of, I've, I think I've talked about it before, but Monkey Pig used to do these nighttime races, you know, and they would just all yeah. get in a bus in the middle of the night, and they would go somewhere, and they'd just have these informal races, and then they'd go back to Jamie's house, work out the trees, who was going to race what, and they'd just go to different spots all over the Gold Coast. So, like, you know, there was never a bust. Yeah, such a such a perfect way of holding an event. Monkey Pig, Monkey Pig been doing that for years. They're, uh, I think it's the Midnight Madness event. Yeah, Midnight Madness, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Hasn't been a long one yet. Do intend on it. <laughs> but it, it does sound like a crazy amount of, amount of fun. Um, and those, the those... sound of skateboard racing... Uh, at night is incredible. Yeah. The sound of it, you can hear the, the, the wheels from the top, of it, just the, you know, as they go past, because it, everything else is really quiet, so that you can yeah. really... Uh, one of my... Um, one of... It, and anyone listening to this can steal this idea. When I was growing up, there was this record that we used to play, and it was the sounds of car racing. So it would be like, you know, F1, just all different cars. And it would just be like, sort of thing. That's all that that had on the record. It was just sound. And I always thought, ah, it'd be good to just do different sounds of different, like, skaters, different boards and wheels. You know what I mean? I'm sure there'd be people out there who'd just put it on and listen to just, like, the sound of skaters going past. Wow. It's it's a bloody brilliant sound. <laughs> it is. The different slides you could have, like you know, orangutan wheels being slid. Oh. <laughs> uh, that really bad honk those old. Ones. 
80, 83A stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it. So what, what wheels are you using? Um, I'm riding a lot of PALs at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, they're great. I think everybody everybody knows they're kind of like a go-to free ride wheel at the moment. So I, what, the Snakes, or are you on the Essets, or...? On the assets at the moment. Assets, um, yeah. I was on the snakes for a long time, but I wanted just like a little bit more grip, and uh, the assets did it for me. I have like three sets of them to burn through. They're like a favorite. Um, yeah, they just they slide so perfectly. Like you can kind of skate how you do in your head, which <laughs> which is kind of hard to do on a few wheels. <laughs> so it's a bigger wheel though, isn't it? Seventy three mil, seventy two mil. 72, yeah. 72. Yeah, you get a bit of extra roll speed out of it, which which is always a good thing. So how does that compare, say, to um, an Optimo? Um, ooh, I guess Assets and Optimos are sort of similar. Um, I think Assets seem to hold their grip longer in the wheel's life. Like, Optimos have this point where they have, like, a good amount of grip and then they just get a little slipperier again. It's sort of like a less consistent feeling throughout the wheel than the assets. The assets sort of feel the same the whole way down. Okay. I I saw, I listened to a review of the Optimos the other day. I think it was um, a Boardworks video. And he described it really well about that they were on the road, not in the road, like yeah, on that slide. Yeah. I'd yeah. never heard of that before. Yeah, there's like the on top of the pavement and in the pavement sort of feel. And yeah, they're definitely like, I guess, snakes and acids and optimos and all that sort of new slippery sort of sort of sloshy urethane. It's all... um. So it's just a little... It's not greasy. It's just a little bit below greasy sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little bit below greasy. Like, um, yeah, it, it, those sort of wheels all feel great. To be honest, I love that sort of wheel, and I guess yeah, remember sort of led the way with like the hoot back in back in yeah. the day. That wheel was probably one of the first wheels that sort of felt like that, and then it sort of snowballed. Everybody sort of released a wheel that felt like that. Mm. <laughs> so, do you think um, would beggars ever do wheels? Um, probably not. I don't. I don't. To see myself making a wheel, I think not enough I'd, art there. Uh no, no. I just feel like I'd stuff it up somehow, or <laughs> or like we just get our first batch of wheels and they all all be swelled, and I'd be just really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> the swells went the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it'd be <laughs> boards are boards are fine enough at the moment, but. Never I say am, never. I am working on a sort of little wheel project with uh, Trinity Distribution at the moment, but I don't know when that's happening. But there's there's a little something cooking. <laughs> okay. So, what what I what do you do at Trinity? Um, my official position title is uh, digital marketing manager, okay. but I wear a bunch of different hats. I feel. Um, so, so Trinity, uh, so um, for people that don't know, Trinity is a distributor in Australia and they're also uh, in the retail channel with um, Board Store. Yeah. Yeah. Is so, there just one Board Store? 
Um, we have three stores. Three so, stores. Um, we have a store in. They're, they're all on the Sunshine Coast. So we have a store in Calandra, yeah. a store in Maroochydore, and a store in Noosa. Yeah, about uh, about three years ago, I have a friend that lives up at um, Sunshine Coast, and I went up for a week and stayed with him and just skated and surfed and just you know had some uh, time off. And I think it was the Caloundra, one of the stores I just wandered into one day. Um, yeah. Just really impressive. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're great stores. We focus a lot on our stores' aesthetics. Like if you... Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't just your standard skate shop. It was kind of like, you know, um, it, it felt like... It, it felt like there was some purpose to it and there was like a lot of different sort of stuff in there. It wasn't just, you know, by yeah. this board. Yeah, we got we got a great team sort of working with us at, at Board Store and Trinity to sort of make everything the way it is. And I think like without the family of people who work there, there wouldn't there wouldn't really be like a board store or Trinity. It's very like sort of built up by the people who are behind it. And, like, every store has pretty much been hand-built by the staff who work there. Like, we don't really purchase shop fittings or anything. Mm. So I think, yeah, there's been a lot of love and care going into the stores, and I'm, I'm really stoked to be a part of that whole family there. It's been, like, amazing. And that's only been the past seven months of work there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, do they give you KPIs and all that sort of stuff, or is it... Uh... Not, not really at all. Actually, it's it's very free run, and they um, they sort of just want me to to do the best by them and give them the best advertising they want. But uh, the the bosses there are very chill. They uh, they get their monthly reports, and if they're stoked, they're stoked. <laughs> um, and is that a hard market? Um, like retail. Retail skateboarding. Skateboarding, uh, like advertising. You're buying ads and so forth, are you? Yeah, sort of, sort of. So I do a lot of like Facebook advertising, Instagram yeah, yeah. advertising. Like I mean, is that, is that like a tough market? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think there's definitely, I think being a skateboarder and doing this job, I do hands down 100% better job than the person who's not a skateboarder doing this job. And oh, I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's sort of beneficial, and that's sort of why they kind of chose me to come on board because I was a skateboarder who studied advertising and marketing and, like, e-media to understand it. Um, I was sort of, like, perfectly, perfectly uh, suited for what they needed. Um, I suppose I was thinking of um, conversions more than... Um, I suppose the ads are easy to do to get it out there, but skaters click on a lot of stuff. I mean, this is just from my personal experience. Like, um, I'm not sure if you get bombarded with like the different ads on Facebook and YouTube about link funnels and like, (laughs) this is the the perfect way to not have to work a day in your life. Use this one page link funnel. Um, No, I'm so glad I'm not the only one getting those. Uh, it's it's terrible. <laughs> I'm so over. It. Uh, no, it's it's all about the work, really. Like, you, if you're a good shop and you get a good product and you have a good price, that's all people are really going to care about. Mm. Skateboarders are fickle too. They're like they'll go to the other shop if they're a dollar cheaper, especially in the online market. So, um, 
it's all about coming at people at the right angle and the right time, and I try and tailor all of our campaigns to do that, but I also do like lots of web development work for uh, Trinity and BoardStore in itself. Not, not BoardStore entirely, because they have a really set-in-stone system, but I've been working with a lot of Trinity's brands to sort of grow them as well, which has been really, really exciting. And um, sort of stepping into a bit of like a brand management role and a media manager role for a few brands, which is super exciting as well. Mm. You got stuff planned for S1 and then it, look, I, I, I feel that's a brand that has sort of been uh, quietly sitting at Trinity for a while. Um, definitely, definitely for the downhill side of things, but S1 does incredibly well by itself. There's a lot mm. of they, um, they sell themselves for the most part to shops across the country. Like, yeah, I suppose they do. I suppose they do. Um, it is a unique helmet as the way it sits on your head and so forth. So, uh, Are we talking the full face? or No, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Lifer is honestly a great helmet. I've, yeah. I've been wearing one for three years, I think. Pro- probably longer, actually. Four, four or five. Damn. Um, <laughs> no, it's a great helmet. Yeah. I've, I've I'd so many people on it. Yeah, I trust it with my life, honestly. Uh, but I suppose also the marketing for it overseas is really good as well, so it kind of yeah, sells yeah. itself as well. They Chris, have great marketing. Chris and the boys over there do, do a lot of our work for us. They um, mm. they pretty much make damn great product with damn great science behind it, and they batch test everything to make sure every damn helmet's safe. And their seal of approval, and obviously we get all of our stuff certified with Australian and New Zealand certifications when they when we obviously sell it out here. But um, yeah, we they're probably the safest helmet I've used for skateboarding, and I've used a damn bunch. Um, I I prefer them over a lot of other fits as well, but I think some people are picky about their fits. So skate whatever you feel comfortable in, and protects your head obviously. Mm. Um, but yeah, S1's been fun to work with, but I'm super excited to uh, work with a bunch of other brands and also get involved a little bit with like the street skating sort of park skating sort of community as well and just get a taste of that industry and get some of that sort of practice underneath my belt. I think that sort of experience is super invaluable it going into our industry because I guess if skateboarding does work in cycles and we're moving on, we're moving into our 90s, we can expect to kind of learn a lot from where they're at right now and apply that to where we're going to be in a few years. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, they've, I think uh, skateboarding, general skateboarding is, I think it's, um, I don't know, it's almost transcended those those cycles now. I, I know they went through sort of a, a trough, you know, when longboarding was big you know, a few years ago, but I still feel that um, they did pretty well, that there's such, I suppose there's such a part of culture now, I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, they don't have, it's, they don't really have the, uh, you know, big parts of the community against them anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's only going to, obviously, with 2020, the Olympics, that's going to, just. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of benefits on that. Like, there's talks of 2024, and I don't want to be obviously like talking too far ahead, but if 2024 does include downhill, then where we are going to have that same growth. So, um, obviously, 
we can try and learn from how skateboarding reacts to that growth, to how we treat ourselves if we ever receive that sort of growth. Mm. Um, because obviously there's probably going to be a bunch of mismanagement going forward with how people handle like sort of growth and government grants and everything. And we need to sort of take a lesson now so we can handle everything great going into the future. Mm. Yeah, so true. <laughs> Well, we've been talking a while. Yeah, we, could, uh, we could just keep going and going. We have had these conversations, haven't we? Well, we've talked for hours. Most Is that what you do with your team? You just talk for hours? No. Oh, definitely. I just get the boys around. You start talking about one board and it turns into like a totally different board and then you're designing like drop six and, <laughs> and you haven't even designed drop five. Actually, one thing that I was going to ask you: how do you how do you pick your team members? Um, that's like a, how, how did you pick your team? Or what do you look for in someone in a team member? I look for individuality above everything else. I don't want my team writers to feel like each other. I want them to stand on their own two feet and be their own people. I guess I don't want to. I'm not chasing somebody with great race results, even though that's sick and totally meritable, but I want someone who's an individual as a rider, who does something differently, who approaches skateboarding differently and brings new ideas to the table or new ways to think about skateboarding or a different attitude or something really unique about a person, that, that one little thing, I guess. Do you think, it's, do you think a, like a, a skateboarder, a, sorry, a longboarder can still make a big name by just not competing but being a free rider? Oh, definitely, definitely. You uh, think so? Yeah, yeah. Um, shit, man, I've, I'm not a racer and I've sort of done all right. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but, y- yeah, but you've crea- you're a creator as well, so yeah. that's, that's a little bit different. Actually, one of um, my most popular blog posts, um, which was about sponsorship, and a lot of it was tongue-in-cheek, but some of it was quite serious. But the main, the real serious one was, you know, people in skateboarding who do the most successful is when they bring something extra to their skateboarding. Exactly. So, you know... um, you know, like for you, it's um, your, I suppose, your digital media skills and your movie making and your skateboarding. So you can't, yes. I, I feel like you just, it's it's a very rare person that can be someone like Mike Vallely that just is just from day one, just, you know, mind-blowing, creatively awesome skater. Exactly. Yeah, you you need that special something in a person. And, like, I think nowadays what we're looking for in writers and what brands are looking for in writers has, like, changed a little bit. Like, some brands are looking for race results still, but mm. some brands are also looking for content creators. And it, it goes to say that, like, Brandon Desjardins is, like, an example of how somebody can be a content creator and then become a big... A big gear longboarder out of that like he set himself up to do that and he did it remarkably well and jumped up 
to different sponsors and established himself in a really like a really good way through content creation and became a big time writer through that method and and that's probably part of his benefit to the brands he represents is that he's a content creator is that he has ways to put media out because like race results don't always sell skateboards but videos and people who reach out to the community and create content that entertains the community that does usually sell skateboards mm. and I think that companies are looking at it from that perspective or like perspectives are shifting I think people are always going to look for race results and event results and biggest slides but I think they're also going to look for people who can communicate well and create the content that supports their brand because that'll help that company a lot more than maybe a race result or a win at a slide jam or an event. Yeah, I suppose there's a, a lot of free riding is anonymous, as in there's no one on the hill watching. Exactly. And well, think- at a race, there's lots of people, you know, seeing the race so there's lots of uh, versions of what happened and what people are talking about it yeah and i think like i guess free riding kind of especially in like video and stuff like that it kind of goes back to the sort of street part creativity that comes in skateboarding where like you're really creating a body of work it's like oh this is the sort of skating i love to do and this is a video of that and that represents that when like Racing is sort of a whole different world from that, like, freeriding sort of way that you put freeriding out there. Like, you, you communicate freeriding, but, like, racing is simply a number. You got this time, you got this place. People saw you take this corner better than this person. It, it's very competitive and almost sport-like in a way when freeriding is sort of the opposite of that. It's very creative and very evocative in the way you pro- like put it out there i guess yeah maybe free riding and communities are longboarding as sort of like skate parks for longboards i i definitely i definitely think so and like we need more like places we- together yeah places together i think like the longboard park in camloops was a great step and i'd love to see people lobbying for more of that sort of stuff in in like other communities because you haven't really seen it pop up as much as I think some people expected to after Cam Loops. Mm. Like I, I would love for Australia to have a longboard park. I think like we have uh, a few closed roads for like longboarding and uh, we have a road up here, hill climb that's three and a half k's long and it's signposted that allows longboards on it, which is like a huge move and when that happened was a huge move but we didn't even lobby for that it just happened out of us skating the road over and over again <laughs> yeah have there been any more events on that hill um there's outlaws and free rides every few months for sure yeah. um they're still pretty consistent and they always get a good turnout because it's actually like such an amazing road to have there that it's closed off from all traffic the only thing you could like run into is a cyclist mm. <laughs> which is which is still a pretty expensive crash. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few of those in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. They always seem to pop up. Yeah. Well, it's been great chatting to you, mate. I really... Uh, it's been I'm awesome really catching up, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, we definitely have to. When's the next drop? Uh, we should be releasing it in November, late November. November we're shooting for. Okay, so maybe you should catch up again and uh, do a uh, a release podcast. Yeah, man, I'd love to. I'd love to. We can. Uh, I'll break down all the boards for you and tell you what we're looking for for our next drop. So um, if I um, if I order boards, will they arrive before the release date? Um, I can make that happen for sure. <laughs> but you, that, that's what you said, didn't you? That you yeah. is that yeah, your plan yeah. that you'd yeah, put them in shops yeah. and put them around the place? Yeah, that's what we do with um, like motion and boardworks. So how do people find a like beggars board? Go onto the website. Yeah, yeah, we uh, advertise on Facebook a lot, and they go onto the website. And if yeah, that, that's pretty much our main channels of advertising at the moment. Um, obviously, we have like writers and communities, and people get stoked on that. And we have our writers posting content. So um, yeah, so we the have beggars. Beggars has an Instagram channel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Instagram, Facebook, you got your website, the and Calvin think, uh, YouTube channel. I think we're going to end up on Vimeo probably. <laughs> music, copyrighted music, it probably just makes sense for us to be there. And I don't know which direction we'll end up taking, but I think our videos are going to end up getting weirder and weirder, which I'm pretty, pretty excited for. Um, following like the is day that from skaters influence or is that just, um, you exploring your creativity? A, a bit of both really. I think like, I think I want to make fun videos. I think that that's like part of the, that's probably the best creative freedom I get with beggars. I can do whatever I want and <laughs> nobody can tell me otherwise. Um, but I definitely love working on an idea with uh, the boys. Like uh, the day drinker video, we worked strictly with team writers and writing like a silly script for the intro sequence. And then we talked about what song, what sort of feel it would have. And we kind of went for this like upbeat, crazy eighties techno sort of vibe, which has been, <laughs> which has been pretty fun to play around with. And it adds like this very different like sort of tone to our videos. And they're much more lighthearted, which I think, I think skateboarding sort of needs at the moment. So um, you shared or you liked a rocket video that turned up in my feed, which was a bit out there. Oh, yeah. My friend uh, Oliver, his yeah. to the team video. That <laughs> video. <laughs> That's probably, uh, that, that would be my top 10 videos of the year, I think. That oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Oliver Rips too, he's... He's a bloody, he's a weapon. <laughs> and like an incredibly nice human. He, um, he so was, could we maybe expect some videos like that, maybe? Oh, I hope so. Um, <laughs> we're, we're trying. This is a, like a sneak, a sneak peek. Um, you, I guess, an exclusive. <laughs> um, to do a, uh, we get a bunch of tradies on the team. Uh, so we decided that we do like, some beggars high vis shirts for him, and then like a nice like uh, job site bucket hat as well, and like just brand them up really well and try and make them as cool as we can, and do like a small <laughs> room, like ten high vis shirts and ten hats. 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, that, that's one of the advantages of a small brand, isn't it? You can be small, nimble. You can like do stuff that's not gonna doesn't matter if it it's not gonna hurt the brand no matter what people's exactly. reaction. And we can just have fun with it. Yeah. Like, it's it's the most liberating feeling that like, oh, I don't have to like take this super seriously. We don't have to worry about earning money or caring that much about it. We should just have fun. And if it sells well, that's even better. That's like a bonus. Yeah. And I think nice. that's that's probably the best way to go about running a skateboard company, I think. is If you have fun with it first, then everything else should follow. Yeah. No, I agree. As soon as it becomes about money, I think um, you've... Uh, you, it's gonna be a hard fall. Yeah, yeah, and like I don't, I don't ever see beggars becoming about money. It's all about begging for a, a better alternative to to the common longboard brand. Is that where the name came from? Uh, that's one of the places. Like it was, like it all, like the idea of beggars came from us. Like our whole crew of boys up here begging for wheels from all the skaters as grommets. <laughs> and, like for a long time my whole crew begged for wheels from me <laughs> it just kept it kept going and going that we were all sort of at one point in our life all begged for wheels from somebody so and then it just carries a lot of meaning we're all just begging for a chance to do something different begging for a chance to express ourselves and begging for a chance to pursue skateboarding in a new and different way yeah so, listen, there's a lot of meaning behind it, and I, I love the brand. And obviously, our new like hands logo has been uh, when the first time we like had that idea, it was a revelation, and everything sort of came together. Is who did the logo? Um, it was sort of sketched by um, Jack Quinn, who has been involved with the brand for a long time. Um, and then uh, I like ran the idea past my girlfriend Sarah, who's our artist, and she did the first attempt of it and really nailed it. And I sent it to the group, and everybody was just stunned at how perfectly it turned out. Yeah, that's good logo. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 super perfect, and um, I think we're pretty much going to be moving to that logo for pretty much everything, and like not have any words anymore. And, uh -huh. Just sort of stand behind the hands and let them do the talking. <laughs> You're becoming the symbol. Yeah, yeah. Just let the symbol work, and uh, well, oh, I think you guys are doing great stuff. So, I mean, I can see it making money in the future, no problem. Oh man, that that means a lot to me. Thank you very much. Oh, I think you you're doing really well. It's like uh, I just think you have the right attitude, and it's stuff like this that just grows and grows and grows. And I, I see uh, you've just you've just pushed a snowball off a mountain, and it's just going to roll and get bigger and bigger. That's why I look at it. Uh, that's the plan, man. I, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. It'd be amazing to be doing beggars full time in some regard. It, it that's like a dream potentially. Mm. But you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I'm not really upset as long as we're still making skateboards. You know, I'm I'm hyped. <laughs> Okay, let's wrap it up. Um, was there anything? Do you are there any shout outs or anything that you wanted to? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge shout out to uh, my mum and dad. 
They're uh, <laughs> they're obviously huge supporters of me since day one. Dad, I think he called you up to order order my first board through you guys, and if he never made that phone call, I'd never be where I am now. So, <laughs> I I got a I got a lot of love for the for the big chief, um, the whole beggars team and um, just just everybody who's sort of involved with the brand and like formulating it and of course my girlfriend who stood by me through like this whole start a skateboard company ordeal. <laughs> um, uh, I suppose it helps that she's creative. Oh yeah, she's she's a huge help in making sure I'm like completely driven for what I'm doing, and she's a huge support. Um, obviously Trinity and Board Store support me heaps. They've uh, taught me heaps in how to run a skate brand and do it right. Um, and without their advice and knowledge, I probably wouldn't be where I am. And of course the guys that drank and oh, shit, Paris Trucks helped me out heaps. Brian Ricker uh, is an extremely nice human. And make sure everyone's stoked. And I, I love Paris trucks. So, you see the team manager? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a TM brand manager, maybe, maybe, okay. maybe TM. Is he out of loaded? Um, no, no Arba. He rides for Arba. Arba. Arba, Arba yeah, full time at Paris, doing the do. <laughs> right. Um, they're they're pretty much. They're probably like my favorite company in this industry at the moment. Favorite big company would be Paris. They're, yeah, killing yeah. it. So how come you're not on, um, why no precision trucks? Look, I'm starting the interview all over again. I've got to stop. Late. We'll save that for part two. Uh, um, <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've, I've ruined your flow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hal. This has been uh, been great, man. So that's the end of episode 11. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Calvin for taking the time to answer all my questions. And what's coming up on the Hawk Podcast? Well, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I have done last week eight hours of interviews. The big interview I did last week was with Thiago Lesser. That interview is nearly four hours. He was very generous with his time and we spoke about everything. Now I do a lot of preparations for these interviews. I research people, I watch videos, try to read previous interviews and with Thiago there was a lot of research. I had like four pages of questions. I only got through half of them. But I sort of get a sense of who the person is when I do this research. So very rarely. I haven't been surprised yet, but I have with Thiago. He was... It was a lot different interview than I thought it was going to be. I thought he would hold back. Answer, from answering a lot of my questions because I really did ask I really did ask how why he's so fast and about his racing techniques and his training and I thought he probably wouldn't want to reveal everything keep something secret but he answered every question there was nothing that was off limits so 
I Asked Everything. And you'll hear that interview coming up shortly. I'm going to try and get the first of them out. I'm not going to dump four hours of interviews on you, so I'll probably try and split it into two or three episodes and put them out as quickly as I can. The the other interview that I've done, and uh, it's waiting to be edited, is with a skateboard collector. And that one's a little bit different, a bit quirky, but a lot of fun. And I will have those edited and in your ears as soon as possible. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And I'll see you on the next one. Hop out.